Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you and uh, to worship together. Um, we are in a very, um, uh, uh, just a wonderful passage, but I just wanted to, I know we read this last week. If you were here last week and you remember, oh yeah, we remember, I remember us going over that section. Um, I wanted to highlight really one part here in verse 22. And it talks about things we ought to flee from and things we ought to pursue after. And all of us um, in our world, we are pursuing something. We're pursuing uh, a better this, more of that, pursuing somebody, some status. We're pursuing things. And the world uh, around us encourages that. It assumes that. And especially as we live in Orange County, it's assumed what you know, are you doing? And how, instead of how are you doing, we often ask, what are you doing? And I, I catch myself saying this also, how are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, people that are married with kids, oh, what are your kids doing now? And everyone has to have some kind of an answer. And we're all pursuing something. And here he tells us, and he tells his apprentice Timothy to flee from youthful passions and to pursue these four things, and it's listed here, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and we're going to go over those four things today. But he tells us to flee from certain things, uh, and the word flee and the word pursue are both very strong words. The word flee here, it means, literally means to escape from, you know, to get out of, to run away from, to, to find refuge from something. So it's the idea of running away. To escape, it's a strong word. And so it says, flee from youthful passions. Um, what does youthful passions here mean? Obviously, he's talking to Timothy, who's younger than him. So what's he saying? Grow up, act older, dress nicer, comb your hair a certain way. Is that what he's talking about, as maybe sometimes our parents would say to us? What he's talking about, and we get this in the context in other parts of the Bible, where he, or Paul, uses the command to flee and we see this in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he tells us to flee from sexual immorality. And 1 Corinthians 10.14 tells us to flee from idolatry. In 1 Timothy 6.10 and 11, he says to flee basically from the love of money. And so that, there it sums it up. I think those are the youthful passions he wants the reader, he wants us to flee from. You know, it's Martin Luther who said that the God of this world is riches, pleasure, and pride. And I think it sums it up so well. Flee from those things. But our world today uh, is not shy about it. It's all about those things. It's all about riches, pleasure, and pride. Who's the best? Who's, who has the most this? Um, whose life is the most fun? Who gets to eat the best stuff? And it's all about this. And we here are surrounded by it. And if you go on any kind of social media, you are inundated by everyone who is perpetuating this. They are pursuing this. And we all know it's not as good as it looks as their picture is, right? But they, they are all pursuing these things. And he says, don't follow that. Don't fall into that trap. But flee from this. Run away from this. Escape from this. That's pretty tough to do. Right? How do we do this? The second thing he tells us to do is to pursue. Another very strong word, to pursue. It's um, translated in the New Testament as the word to persecute someone. So when someone was after someone and they wanted to persecute them, they wanted to go after and catch them. That's the picture we get. It's a word of not just casually follow from a distance, but to actively chase after these things. 
to go after these things. And I think we have these moments on Sunday when we could gather, and it's kind of a moment of quietness, a moment where actually we're listening and thinking and praying, and maybe for a lot of us, it recenters us to these things of what's important. We have to pursue these four things. We have to chase these four things down. You go out into the world today, they will not tell you you have to pursue these four things. But this is what the Word of God tells us to do, and I want to highlight the four. First of all, it says to pursue righteousness, right? Um, the word in the New Testament for right or righteousness, it's, it's not simply meaning like, oh, be a holier person. And sometimes you read this and you could say, oh, be a righteous person, be a holy person. Is that, you know, uh, don't do this and don't say those words. Is that what it's saying? It's more than that. A lot more. The word right or righteous in the New Testament has the uh, idea of fairness, equality. Um, We could sum it up as justice. So pursue justice. Make it a goal of your life to continue to pursue justice. The same word, righteousness, in the Old Testament Hebrew is a word that means to... um, disadvantage myself to advantage the community. So it's not only me helping, but it's actually, it's costing me something. It's the word sedek, right? To disadvantage myself to help the community. So it's costly. So when he says pursue righteousness, this isn't convenient. This isn't easy. This surely doesn't come natural. When little children are born and they're, as they get older, as they play, this isn't part of who they are, right? Um, they want what's theirs. But to say, to now give and to share and the lessons that we uh, teach. So the, in 2 Corinthians 9, for example, it, this illustrates what this means. It's talking about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 9. Um, it says, he has, speaking of Jesus, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So by him giving and distributing to the poor, by him enacting justice, the description of Jesus Christ is, His righteousness endures forever. This is a demonstration of his righteousness. Um, We see this in the Old Testament in Exodus 9, 27, for example, where after the plagues had come, remember God sends the plagues to Egypt and sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh now makes an admission of God's righteousness or justice in this. Pharaoh sent out and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. So again, that same idea that God is enacting justice. God is making the playing field equal. And so we all have to now pursue this. We all have to be involved in this. We have to be, not just have an opinion about it. And often today we think um, getting involved is having an opinion about it. Um, verbally saying I support it or raising awareness, those are important. But actually, it costing me something, doing something. Um, there's a, uh, I read a short biography this past week on, on a man named Arthur Guinness. Arthur Guinness, uh, the biographer, describes him as the visionary entrepreneur and Christian philanthropist who founded the Guinness Brewery, right? We know the Guinness Beer, right? He's the one who started this. Um, he, just a little story about him. He was born into an Irish Protestant family. He received, um, at age 30, he received 100 pounds and, uh, from his godfather, who was a pastor at the time. And he takes that money and invests it 
and he starts a brewery. Now, some of you are thinking, wow, like, is this really the illustration that we're going to? He's, he's, he's a beer maker. Uh, in the day, and let me explain this. In the day, the drinking water of the day was often uh, uh, disease-infested, unfiltered, and it would make people sick. And so, actually, beer and alcohol was the safer choice, and a lot of people would drink this, and it was a cultural thing. And what happened, as you could imagine, is some people would get out of hand and out of control, and they would actually become drunk on it. And as he becomes a Christian, as he grows in his faith, one of the missions he has is to make this beer that he is going to start to, with as low as an alcohol content as possible to help people out of, now, their alcoholism. Uh, it's intriguing, right? Um, and I, I thought this was intriguing for us, this story, because... For a lot of us, um, sometimes you hear an illustration about some missionary, you know, that did this in China or some pastor that did this. And sometimes it just doesn't connect, right? For the average person coming to it's like, that doesn't connect. Like, I don't know. You know, I'm just getting up. I got to get to work. I'm working hard. It's stressful at work. How do, well, and I thought this really connected well. Because here's a guy that um, worked hard, found success, took a risk. He found success. And then God calls him, and he takes what God has given to him, and he now lives and he pursues righteousness in it. Now, uh, his motto uh, was, uh, this was his personal motto, spes mea and deo, which means my hope is in God. He became a very devout Christian as he grew up. He cared for the weak and the poor in his life. Um, and he had the opportunity one day to... It's kind of interesting, just before I jump onto this. He, he, he and his wife got married in their uh, mid-30s, had 21 children, like bless their hearts, right? 21 children. Um, that's 10, and 10 point something times more than, you know, like what I have. And it's hard enough for me, 21. And I was like, is that why he started at the brewery? I don't know, right? Like why he needed to, um, I'm going to work, honey. Like you deal with the 21 kids and counting, right? I mean, think about that. Um, a special man in this way. But he now starts this, and he, he goes to listen to a man named John Wesley preach. The famed revivalist John Wesley had come to town at the St. Patrick's Cathedral. And John Wesley is preaching, and he himself notes the message that he said. And this is the quote that I want to share with you from John Wesley. He says, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Your wealth is evidence of a calling from God. So use your abundance for the good of mankind. This message stays with him now for the rest of his life. And this person, this businessman, this entrepreneur who took a little bit that he had gotten from his godfather and now is finding success, he goes and he starts a Sunday school movement in his hometown. He goes and he gets on the board of many hospitals in his area and he helps them financially. And the biographer talks about him as someone who lived in a very simple, modest way, yet he had obviously so much riches, yet he lived and, and decided to do this. And it costed him to find justice for other people, to pursue righteousness. Now you don't have to be a founder of something like this. But in the advantages that we have now, 
And all that we possess, can we say, God, help me to earn that all that I can so I could save all I can and give away all I can so my faith is made evident in what I earn. Uh, it, it's as practical as it gets. Secondly, pursue faith, it tells us here. Second out of four, faith. Um, the Wycliffe Dictionary says this, this word faith here, the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. Right? This Having this conviction. Remember in Luke 17, 5, the disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith. Would you increase our faith? And maybe that might be our prayer as well. God, give me more faith because I don't have as much faith as so-and-so to go and you know, share to my non-Christian core. That's hard to do. God, give me more faith to pray and take a step of faith. Um, it is at that point in Luke 17, when the disciples ask him this, and Jesus talks about the, the faith, have this faith of a mustard seed. And we, we all know that very well. The mustard seed um, literally is the size of like a sesame seed. I mean, it is really small. And you would plant the mustard seed, and the mustard tree would grow, and it would grow up to nine feet tall. And um, I was reading up on this, and they described the mustard tree as a uh, malignant weed-like tree where it would start growing and it would take over. So you wouldn't plant it in your garden with other uh, fruits and vegetables. You would have to take it outside of the garden because this short mustard, small mustard seed would take over and it would cover everything. And that's what he's saying. If your faith is, even if it's small as a mustard seed, if you put it in the ground, if you put it to work, watch what God does through it. How do I increase my faith? How do I pursue faith? I think it's, we have to take a risk. Um, risk isn't, I'm going to go and um, talk to someone over there. I'm going to go and talk to my next door neighbor. How many of us know our next door neighbors that well? I'm going to go and actually share my faith. Uh, I'm going to go and um, bring them to church. Um, I'm going to go and try to give a little bit more than I could. And these are all risks. And we live in a society where we want no risks. We want someone to manage and forecast everything so there is no surprises. We have insurance for everything because we don't like accidents and risks. But faith grows when you take what faith you have and you plant it into the ground and you watch it grow. Uh, you know, just for me as a, in the church, in our eight years, the little things that we've done along the way that were always very stressful and in hindsight, it didn't seem like a big deal, but now I look at, uh, but at the time, uh, it seemed like a big deal. I remember when we first moved, when we first started the church, that was a step of faith. Like, who's going to come? Everyone kept asking me, who's going to come? I, I don't know. I hope you come. You know, I hope my wife comes, my kids come. I, I don't know who's going to come, all right? And then uh, I remember we got at this place, and I had to sign the lease, and it was my name. They wanted my social security. You know, I remember getting us getting a, um, a water thing for our office. It was my name with my, I'm like, oh my gosh, so if I break this, it's me? Um, yeah, it's you. And they just wanted my name. It's steps. I remember moving to our new facility in Brea, where it was right across the street. It was this huge place, the community center. And the rent was going to now go up 10 times or whatever. It was a huge place. It was a step of faith. Are we going to do this? I remember being so worried about this. Some of you guys were there. I remember starting another service at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I remember doing that and saying, who's going to come to the 9 o'clock? I I was like, 
telling people, can you come to the 9 o'clock? And, you know, we need people here. We can't have more people on stage. Than, uh, you know, um, that's really awkward. Um, and then three years ago, starting a service at Irvine and, and meeting all these wonderful new people that God has brought us together. Um, continual steps of faith. And each time, there's always a little bit of like, ah, why did I, why do we, maybe we shouldn't have done this. I don't know. But it's okay to not know. And that's how we grow our faith. Um, how can I grow my faith really um, in a practical way? Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. is just to hear God's word and to take action on it. We in our world are inundated by noise. We're never bored. And we have to just hear God's word. And it leads us to action. And to sit and just listen is so important. Thirdly, he says to pursue love. Pursue love meaning not like go pursue the love of your life. You know, I want to find, you know, my, you know, what's her, you know, I want to find her and I want to. No, it's not so much of that, but it's saying increase the love in your life, how you love, right? Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love. So if faith is an inward strength, love is the visible outward strength that I demonstrate love. Now this gets about as practical as it, as it is. You love the people around you. So those of you who are married, if you love your spouse, and if I could say, hey, on a, a grade from A through F, like how would you describe how much you've been loving as a husband or a wife, you know? And if I ask, and I'm not going to ask you out loud. Don't be nervous, all right? So, but, uh, you know, some of you might say, oh, B plus, you know, and um, it's really good. You know, it's better than my friends. They're like a C. I'm like C plus, B minus, you know. It uh, used to be really A plus, but, you know, after 15 years, it's whatever it is. You might say something like that, right? Um, why not just take that today and just make it an A plus? I mean, it's simple as that. Those of you who have kids, you might say, oh, you know, I'm a pretty good father. I'm above average. I'm better than my friends. Well, why not not just be a B plus? Why not just be an A plus? Those of you with friends in need, think about this. The Bible says that friends are better than even family in a way that, that, that a brother is born, you know, in, in Proverbs, brother is born for adversity, but a friend is there for all times. The idea, the value of a friend. The friend is someone that you choose and they choose you. And there's an infinite value about that, right? You're my, you're my BFF. I'm your BFF. That's, that's really good because, um, you know, that's a lot of stress, right? Th these things. You're my best friend. Um, you chose me to be your best friend, and that's pretty big. Why not be the best friend possible? Why not love them as a Christian? For those of you at work, uh, why not go and, and go and approach someone who is just starting out, intern level, just starting out, and they don't know what they're doing, and you say, hey, how you doing? Let me take you out for lunch. And, and they'll be confused. Am I in trouble? What is this? But to say, let me show you love in this way. Uh, it's as simple as that. And think about this. Um, the things that we cherish are the things that we take care of. And they, they grow in value. And those of you who, who are dog people, right? Some of you bought a purebred. That's 100%. You paid an arm and a leg for this dog. Better live a long time. Better enjoy the dog. And some of you, you got a mutt, found off the street, and people ask you, oh, what kind of dog is it? Did you ever meet someone like that? I say, oh, what kind of dog is it? I think it's a, you know, terrier, German shepherd. and You know, like they don't know. And if you ask them, well, 
you know, wow, that dog's worthless, right? You want a better dog? No, this is my dog. I love my dog, right? The things that we take care of, whether it's your car, whether it's your house, whether it's your dog, the more you take care of it, the more you grow fond of it, the more you love it. So to pursue love, you have to start loving those around you. Then they become more important to you. Last month, we had a 6-8 initiative outing. That's our partnership with the local ministries here. And every other week, there's some kind of event, and you see it on the bulletin and so on. And I stopped by. We had a picnic for um, the kids from Olive Crest, teenagers in the foster care system. So every month, we, we call them out, we, we feed them, and we play games with them, um, teenagers. And out of all of our outreaches, this was kind of the least... Um, attractive one for me. Like, I don't like teenagers. Like, I don't like summer because there's teenagers aren't in school there everywhere. I don't like, you know, I don't like teenagers in general because I was a teenager. I was a bad teenager, so I don't like them. And so, you know, like, going to serve the people I like and working with children is good, but teenagers, like, ah, teenagers, you know. Um, And I remember after service um, here, we had the picnic out at Tustin at a park, and um, there was food, and, and, and some of the volunteers came to do this from our church. And I went to go and, you know, I'm the pastor. I went to go and encourage them. Good job. And um, I sat down, and I, started, I was watching a couple of the guys, and they're playing um, chess, and they're playing Jenga. And it was kind of windy, so Jenga was, like, falling over before. The chess was missing a piece. I mean, it was real, I was like, wow, this is really, you know, this is real ghetto, you know. Like, come on, let's. Let's get some pieces, you know. We're playing Connect Four, but they didn't have enough, so they had to remember which one's red, which one's black, and we're playing. And so I sat down. And I said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play Connect Four. I'm here, hey guy, you know." And I'm, there was a young man here, and I sat down. and said, "You want to play Connect Four? I'm good at Connect Four. And he goes, "Yeah, let's play." And uh, so we're playing. And you know, we're starting to laugh together, have fun, and you know, he he beats me, and he and I was legitimately trying. I wasn't trying to, you know, and I was like, oh, he beat me. I forgot the red was supposed to be black because we ran out. So, you know, we played again. He beat me again. So I said, I'm going to play something else. Um, but I, I drove away, and I, I, I watched them, and I drove away. Now, like, growing fond of them. I'm like, well, well I was like, when's the next one? And so we had our 6-8 initiative core meeting last week. I know Lee and Angela and some people are there um, with Jessica, and I sat in, and and I was like, oh, yeah, when, when's the next thing? And I caught myself, and I, I think um, you probably heard, but, you know, I caught myself in the meeting saying, oh, we should do something big for those kids. Like, we should, man, we should do a party for those high schoolers, you know? Like, even just spending a little bit of time. So pursue love in this way. The more you care for someone, the more lovable they become to you, the more you care for them. Lastly, it says to pursue peace. We all want peace. You know, we want peace at home. We want peace at work. We want peace in our world, right? Um, The news keeps telling us that there is a lack of peace. We want peace. We want peace. Peace here. What is it talking about in the Bible? Theologically speaking, this is one of the definitions in one of the dictionaries. Peace is a conception distinctly peculiar to Christianity, the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Um, It said so well. A perfect relationship with God, satisfied with everything I am here and I have here on earth. That's peace. 
peace is not, oh, I have to be on the beach, 80 degrees, you know, slight breeze, sand between my toes, no one around, blue waters. Ah, peace. Well, you have to eventually clean up and go home, right? I mean, you can't stay there forever. Peace is not about the things around us or the lack of stress around us. Peace is a state of relationship. And so if we're going to pursue peace, we've got to pursue peace with God. We have to be reminded of the gospel. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Um, what that means is I have to remind myself I deserve nothing. God gave me in his mercy everything out of his grace for me. And I have to accept that. And I have to know I'm forgiven. And I have to know that my good enough might not be good enough for the people around me, but God loves it. He cherishes me. I am secure forever. Daily, because our imagination and our guilt drives us way wild. And Satan keeps telling us, you're not worthy. You're horrible. What you did at that time in your life, you know, how can you go to God? And we often think that I can't go to God and talk to him like, um, you know, if we feel like, man, I can't talk to my dad. He's mad at me. I don't want to talk to him. And it, on our end, it strains our relationship. But we can go to God and talk to him. The Father is waiting. Peace by preaching the gospel to ourselves. Peace with others. To daily be ready to forgive. Because someone is going to offend you. Part of it's your problem. Part of it's their problem. And the only way you're going to get away from that is to just be a hermit and say, I can't, I can't open up. I can't tell anyone anything. I can't talk to anyone. But as we engage with people, as we talk to people, someone's going to hurt us. And being ready to forgive. How many times should I forgive, Peter asked. Seven times? No, seven times seven. Seventy. They say it's, it's not something you could quantify in this way. This is the life that we have, that we daily forgive others and we pursue peace in this way. And maybe there is someone in your life, maybe it's even a family member, or maybe it's someone that you know that there is an issue there. And you might not have started it, but you, you know you haven't helped it. And maybe I, you can just say, hey, I'm going to go and pursue peace right now. And by tomorrow, it's going to be good. There'll be peace. Pursue the peace of God. Ultimately, and I close with this verse in Ephesians 2.14. Paul tells us, he, for speaking of Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. Ultimately, we look to Jesus Christ. He uses this repetitive. Uh, it puts the emphatic word in the front. He himself, Jesus, it's Jesus himself is our peace. He now gives us peace with the Father. He gives us peace with one another. And how important that is, that we could have peace in this way. So let's pursue the important things in life. Let's run away from the silly temporal things of life and pursue him in this way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you tell us to pursue these things. You tell us to live for you. And to pursue righteousness, love, faith, peace. Things that are of the utmost importance. And yet we often neglect. God, today would you wake us up to now take action on this. To pursue it daily. 
and to live a blessed life in this way. We thank you for this verse, these words. We pray in Jesus' name.